Stampede. Garneries at 169, recorded 129, 2023. Any professional thief will tell you if you're going to steal, steal big. Of course, people who just pocket an item or two at a big box retail store aren't considered in that category. 
Even stealing as an amateur in a major retail business, the policy is if you take less than a few hundred dollars of merchandise, it doesn't pay to arrest you. Of course, when groups of people get together and rush looting a business, highly trained professional thieves only consider that as small potatoes stealing. No, today, the real professionals who steal big are in the range of millions or even billions of dollars. And the thing is, these thieves, by all outward standards, appear to be upstanding and honored in society. They're very clever and skilled people who often use their position in the business world by convincing others they know how to make fast and profitable returns. I mean, in a consumerist economy, to steal on a grand scale is commonplace. And sometimes the CEOs of large corporations who explicitly engage in illegal policies, knowing full well if their company is found to have been doing something illegal, well, they'll only be fined a few million dollars in a court of law while pocketing billions in profits. That's why powerful corporations always hire the best and brightest law firms to represent them. When you have a small army of Ivy School lawyers protecting you when you commit a billion-dollar crime, for price rigging, you only end up having to pay a few million dollars in restitution. So, let's face it, big-time stealing is an everyday occurrence in a consumerist economy, and naturally, it's the consumer that gets fleeced.
When talking about stealing, various names come to mind. Unfortunately, in a few instances in my own personal life, I've been taken. Once by a lawyer who took several thousand dollars from me without ever helping me in a legal issue regarding a piece of real estate. The other from a marketing company I invested in, which used clients' protected accounts and declared bankruptcy. In both instances, I can honestly say it was my fault for being too trustworthy. Clearly, I should have known better. But I never fell prey to some of the largest thefts in modern history one of which was Bernie Madoff's investment securities, which reportedly stole about $64.8 billion in one of the largest Ponzi schemes in history. Bernie, who recently passed away in prison, managed to steal by promising to produce higher yields for investors. He began his career by founding a penny stock brokerage firm in 1960 that eventually grew to Bernie Madoff's investment securities. That lasted till 2008 when he was arrested. At the time of his arrest, his company was the sixth largest market maker in the Standard & Poor's 500 stock market. Bernie's successes were many. He was the chief architect of bringing electronic trading platforms on Wall Street and the chairman of the NASDAQ Stock Exchange. In other words, he was a guy who people were drawn to for investing their money. Because of his substantial standing in the financial world, he lured unsuspecting investors into his Ponzi scheme. Well, I won't attempt to tell you how he stole $64.8 billion. Schemes were elaborate. And I can't detail the personal tragedies that befell his two sons because of his criminal acts. But What I can tell you is Bernie Madoff was a symptom of the times, and that, in the big picture of wholesale stealing in a consumerist economy, takes place every day in lots of different ways. So that's why people say, if you're going to steal, steal big, because it's taking place everywhere.
when D.B. Cooper hijacked a Northwest Orient commercial aircraft in 1971 and jumped out of that plane at 10,000 feet with $200,000 of ransom money, in many ways he became a mythical figure admired by lots of Americans. In this country, if you manage to steal the right way, people admire you. And that's because people recognize that consumerism is nothing short of encouraging the taking of more, no matter the price. When you have an economic system that requires you to get more, well, then you have people willing to bend the rules and get away with it. That's when you're admired for stealing. It's interesting to note D.B. Cooper's daring theft of $200,000 by jumping out of an aircraft somewhere over the state of Washington in 1971 also coincided with an economic decision that led to America becoming a debtor country. In 1971, Richard Nixon ended the convertibility of U.S. dollars to gold and announced wage and price controls because of rising inflation. It ended the Bretton Woods system, which was established in 1945 after World War II and made America's dollar the reserve currency in the world. The price of gold was fixed at $35 an ounce. After 1945, the United States held about three-quarters of the world's gold reserves. Demand was strong for America's goods, and the dollar was king. But by the 1960s, America's balance of payments began deteriorating. Military expenditures like the Korean War and Vietnam resulted in a large supply of dollars in the world. Eventually, there was an imbalance of the dollar to the supply of gold. It signaled a fundamental monetary problem in America. Inflation stood with the Consumer Price Index at 5.4% and unemployment at 6%. With inflation on the rise and a potential run on gold, Nixon ended the convertibility of the dollar to gold, and America became a debtor country. And so began the greatest debt in history, and will eventually steal wealth of the American people.
It's obvious if our government or any government is in debt for over $30 trillion, there's going to be a price to pay for that. Every man, woman, and child in this country will have to pay for that debt. In effect, the U.S. government has stolen the largest amount of money in history, and the American people will have to pay for it one way or another. Our politicians will never tell us that. In fact, they'll keep telling us everything is all right, that we're safe, and no one or anything will ever take what the American people own. But be certain of this, there will be a price to pay for our government's spending money it didn't have for the last 50 years. You can be sure of that. When it will happen is difficult to say, but like any bankruptcy, assets will be sold off. Of course, you'll be guaranteed inflation, unlike this country has ever seen. Violence and looting will be everywhere. Rioting commonplace. Bank closures will lead to shortages. Finding food or products on grocery shelves will be difficult. The military will be recalled from foreign lands. The politicians will issue a new currency, attempting to restart the economy. Government buildings will be shuttered, with its workers lining the streets as part of the unemployed. Electrical blackouts with disruptions of fuel will follow. Schools and universities will be temporarily closed. When your government owes over $30 trillion, you won't be able to rely on accepted expectations. The system is broken, and only the use of propaganda and deceptions will keep it running. New allegations of corrupt governmental officials will produce public trials, and new schemes to substitute the government's currency will result in billions of dollars stolen in Ponzi schemes. I might be wrong in what I'm saying, but for some reason, what I've just described when our government defaults isn't our future. No, some of those things I've described are already happening.
It's possible I'll be accused of spreading disinformation, that I'm fear-mongering. But in truth, that's what 30- and 40-year career politicians will say, attempting to deflect responsibility for having run this country into the ground. They created the greatest theft in history. This country could have always made other choices instead of producing over $30 trillion of debt. We didn't need an economy of consumerism, but our government did. Wanting more was at the root of our government's debt. You see, that's what our politicians said would create our prosperity. But look around. Has it made the American people more content? Well, if you're honest, you can see the avarice and greed here. And there are people who would have you believe that's because we're a free people. Well, that isn't the measure of a free people. It's just the opposite. We've been tricked into believing if you want more, if you demand more, you'll be healthier. But we aren't getting healthier. No, you can't have children killing children in schools and claim we're the greatest nation on earth. No, you can't have thousands sleeping on the streets homeless with drug addiction and mental illness and claim we're a healthy people? No, we made the wrong choices when we thought consumerism was going to be good for us. You see, there's just so much stuff you can have in a garage or in your home until you finally realize you've been deceiving yourself. No, our choices to find contentment were never to be found in wanting more. Instead, we should have been looking for ways to be creative, to find what is beautiful in this world. But we built weapons for making profits and said it was making us safer. That didn't make us safe. We made corporations, military generals, and politicians rich in producing weapons for war. And it was done by telling the American people they were safe. After 20 years in Afghanistan, we left behind $80 billion of weapons. That's more than the entire defense budget of the Russian Federation. No, we've made the wrong choices, and we made stealing a way of life in this country.
This week on Gardner Isn't, you first heard Hans Zimmer's composition, Radical Notion, for the motion picture, Inception. Then, from the movie, Blood Diamond, you heard James Newton Howard's, London, followed by a 1941 recording from the movie, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll's Transformation, by Franz Waxman. Then more work by Waxman, a cut of the main title to the movie Rebecca, composed in 1940. Then from the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still, The Prelude by Bernard Herrmann, a 1952 composition. And to close, more Hans Zimmer for the movie Interstellar, cut from the soundtrack Dust. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.